0: Hey everyone, I'm Dahlia from Nightmare on 5th Street, a horror movie podcast. This episode is a little different. Um, Yes, we've done interview and bonus episodes before, but this movie, Unidentified Objects, isn't exactly horror. I mean, we're a horror movie podcast and (laughs) we try to stay in that genre and this movie is not horror at all. However, one of the cool perks of hosting a podcast about movies is we are on some press release lists and we get to see what movies are coming out and sometimes we even get to screen them before they go public. And sometimes we get the opportunity to interview the people involved in those movies. In this case, in this episode, we are interviewing Colombiano filmmaker Juan Felipe Zuleta. Well, when Alma and I saw this movie um, in our inbox, we read the description. We read about the actors, the filmmakers, and we just had to jump on it. Yes, totally not horror, but I know many of us who love horror are fans of the different and unique and genre-bending movies. And I just felt that many of our listeners would really appreciate this discussion. After watching the movie, we were excited to be able to discuss the movie with Juan i personally saw myself in both of these characters that were portrayed in the movie winona and peter um, who are played by sarah hay and matthew jeffers i feel like many of us who enjoy and love the horror genre see ourselves or maybe are sometimes against our own liking kind of pushed into the category of other or outsider and that's who winona and peter um portray in this movie the others the outsiders and if that's you, then I feel like when this movie becomes available for everyone to see, you should definitely check out Unidentified Objects. And if you just love stunning storytelling and genre bending style movies in general, then yeah, again, <laughs> you should check out this movie. It's, it's so good. But for now, though, I do hope that you enjoy our discussion with writer and filmmaker Juan Felipe Zuleta. Okay, so first of all, we want to say thank you so much for um, for your time today and also for letting us watch this movie uh, before uh, Fantastic Fest. We, well, I'm, okay, I'm not going to speak for Alma, but I absolutely <laughs> loved this movie and I can't wait to start talking about it. Um, but real quick, I wanted to introduce ourselves. I'm Dahlia. I'm Alma. And we actually host a horror movie podcast. So I know your movie's not horror. Um, but, um, we love these kind of genre genre bending kind of movies. And, um, this was right up our alley when we read the description and we're like, yeah, we want, we want to <laughs> discuss this. <laughs>
1: uh, thank you, Dalia and Alma. I, I really appreciate you watching it and, and wanting to talk about it. Uh, that means the world. to me.
0: So the movie is described as, um, an uptight dwarf and his free-spirited alien obsessed neighbor. Hit the road on a border-defying search for their place in the universe. But it's like, you know, always with these taglines, it's always so short, and you want to try to grab the people and everything. But there's a lot going on here. And it's like, um, you know, with the characters, with um, your ambiguous ending, which we can't wait to discuss, and everything. What exactly was it about the movie you feel like the story you wanted to tell? I guess if you could, I mean, just like in a simple, you know, a (laughs) little...
1: I love movies that are unexpected. I love, by the way, I love horror movies and and like the ones that I love the most usually are the ones that are surprising in ways that I haven't seen before. And and as a storyteller and as a filmmaker, uh, there's a sense of plasticity to cinema that no other art form has, which you can do whatever you want. You can bend the w- rules, you can dive into any direction and you can take the audience emotions and like, their attention and their, their suspension and disbelief to like places that are not necessarily like, and, that, and, that's, and that's why that's the, the genre aspect and the genre bending aspect of. So, so I wouldn't say, oh, I make dramas or I make comedies or I make siphon movies because I think all mo- like, especially the movies that I love the most tend to have all those elements. Like the, the movies that I love the most make me laugh and they make me feel like cringe on my seat and make me very scared. So even though, yeah, Identified like, Objects is not quite a horror film, even, I do still think it has uh, scenes that are a little bit nightmarish in, in their own ways. Like, like let's call that's let's say like that alien uh, cop scene or, or for example, the bar scene. Uh, even though they're, they're, it's it's not again it's not horror like you're gory and like you know what I mean but so so yeah I, I feel like I accomplished I think it comes up uh, the screenplay was developed by my my buddy Lilan and myself we developed it together uh during COVID and in some ways I think it was a response to the everything that was like the, the, the world crushing and and it's kind of like making a movie about two strangers getting the road and, and escaping reality or escaping our lives for a second. And in that process, realizing uh, and learning more about who we are, that's kind of, like got its score. Uh, Leland and I were unemployed, financially struggling, like during that time we, the screenplay was developing. And so a lot of that is in there. And I think that spirit uh, carries, carried throughout the film, like, like that hopelessness of like that lack of existence uh, in some ways that, but but at the end of the day, yeah, I I feel I feel very happy, and I and I think I did the movie. But also, I I think at the end of the day, my the movies that I like are character mm-hmm. based, and then, mm-hmm. and I think and I think for me that was probably like the most important thing. So casting, finding Matthew, finding Sarah to play Winona and Peter was was like the one of one of the biggest like once that clicked. And I know the moment it clicked, like the, like I was like, okay, we, we have a movie on our hands. No matter where this goes, it's at the end of the day about watching this super, like like, going at each other and discovering themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. I can see it a lot. I think that the way we describe its kind of genre bending, um, that so many people would be interested in this story because we were all in that pandemic situation, we were all in that our little world afraid to step out. And so you can see that on the screen. And I think that those two characters were really somebody that anybody could um, put themselves in their shoes. Um, We were discussing also uh, where you were from. And I'm from Colombia and we wanted to know if, do you visit, do you have family or were you interested at all in maybe doing a movie back there?
1: Yes. So I have good news. I, well, yeah, I'm from Medellin, Colombia, born and raised. I go to Colombia every year, pretty often. In fact, I, this year is the first year I had to work there. I I shot a commercial for a brand called Jeff, which is a fashion, like a fashion brand. And I show, I just shot two music videos for Maluma. Uh, in Colombia a uh, week and a half ago, which is a big artist from there. So right now I'm, um, so, and, and the answer is yes, I have a, a screenplay called, We Were Born Dead, Nacimos Muertos. It's gonna be a Spanish speaking psychological thriller about two kids uh, living in, the, in rural Colombia, in the middle of nowhere, who, who one day their mom doesn't come home. And, and it becomes a, like a similar, like an unidentified objects, a genre bending story uh, coming of age, uh, we're we're very much inspired in Guillermo del Toro uh, Spanish Civil War films like uh, like Guillermo uh, like Pan's Labyrinth or The Devil's Backroom, Very much of like that anything is possible because we're seeing the world through the eyes of kids and there's no real limitations to that because there's there's no you know what I mean that a lot of the barriers in the way we think are set by society, but a child a child doesn't have that, so. So that's kind of like my, my I hopefully I shoot that movie next year and, and hopefully we'll talk about it in yeah. year. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> that's um, exciting. We love it. We love it when we find a lot of films that are a Spanish language because um, also because you're you're drawing in such a such a wider audience. And um, that's really exciting because we're always looking for also foreign films and other language films so that we could um, share with more people, like the people who are just kind of just seeing American cinema, so that they can open their eyes more to the fact that there's so many more movies out there, independent films, foreign language films. Um, we saw in your bio that you went to NYU Tish. Uh, yeah. My daughter, I just dropped my daughter off to start her... Um, all semester there first year. and the first year Congrats! Uh, yes and how how did you end up there and just put you on that path to be behind the camera the director path
1: great question so for me it was a little bit of a longer journey to get to NYU so I graduated high school in Medellin and my brother lived in LA and my parents were able to like like through you know how immigrants is after like 10 many 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 years of paperwork and stuff they were able to get me a green card because my sister was born in the US in 83. So I, I moved to LA to hustle and work and learn and, and I started like working in independent sets I started taking classes at a community college Santa Monica College I live with my brother I'm, I'm working I'm producing directing little short films I think it, that's very important it's like I started making my own films from a very young age. And a lot of them were very bad, but, but that's, how you, that's how you start growing. And in that process, uh, I actually played soccer very well, as you can see, like keep from Medellin. Uh, I, I, and I would run a lot and I would play. And they like two executives from Paramount Pictures saw me play, no, two, uh, an entertainment lawyer saw me play. And they invited me to play on their soccer team. And there were a bunch of executives from Paramount there. So I joined their team, we became friends, and eventually they offered me an internship um, uh, working for them. And and, and I started reading a lot of scripts when I was was doing coverage, you know, like reading, 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 like writing about the script, recommending it, not recommending it, and and answering phone calls. It was tough because my English wasn't as good back then. So I was kind of in the process of figuring a lot of stuff out consistently. And I probably wouldn't have gotten that job if it wasn't for my soccer skills. and my buddy Leland, who's a, the, my, the the main writer of unidentified objects, is my creative mm-hmm. writer. Actually, he had a screenplay there, yes. and at that I, I, since he was 17, he's a brilliant pro, like writer, and he had a screenplay at that office mm-hmm. that they were considering optioning, or maybe they had option. And I read it, and I remember seeing like this writer is gonna is like I gotta work with him. I really admire him, and they told me, oh yeah, it's a kid, he's like your age, and I couldn't believe it. So eventually. After, like, two years in LA, I had a little bit of credits at Santa Monica College, I already went, and I knew, okay, I want to go to film school. So I applied to NYU, and I got in, and I was so excited, and, and then I moved to New York, and in New York, same, I, I, I got, I started working for a, a YouTuber called Casey Neistat. I started working at his office. And being like, like, he would pay me, I think, $10 an hour, but he told tell me, work as many hours as you want. And I was like, be there at 6 a.m. cleaning the floors just to rack up a little bit of money. And, and eventually, a kid from UCLA transferred to NYU. Um, and, and he and I, he and I uh, became really good friends. And then I, one day I asked him, hey, do you know this kid called Leland? He lives, he's from UCLA. And he said, oh, yeah, he's my good friend. And I said, can you put me in touch with him? I, I want to work with him. I really admire his work. So he connected us, and that was like 2015. And Leland and I have been working together ever since. And, and in terms of how to become a director, to be honest, uh, there's no, like for me, in my personal journey, it's always been about putting the work. So, like, I like making little short films and then, and then making another one and then trying to, like, like it, just trying to keep, never stop. You know what I mean? They, like, never stop. But, like, I think that momentum is everything. And, and like, that, and like that is not only, only the way you grow and you become better as a storyteller, but it's also the way you can prove people that you can actually do this and, and like, like uh, get people to finance your film or or get people... I'm also... Uh, I want, a uh, little I, this Spanish-speaking script that I told you about, we want the Richard Vague Production Fund, which is a, a grant uh, from NYU for uh, students that, get, that graduate alumni we graduated in the past five years of NYU. So we, wrote, we won it in 2019, right before COVID. Uh, and they gave us, it's, not, it's like, it's, it, they gave us 50000 It's not a lot of money, but it's something, and it's it really hard to get. So that's, we have it there. And, and I guess that's kind of where the journey has been so far, and I'm still, like, learning and still, like, you know, going through it.
0: I absolutely love that it's not a straightforward journey, um, and it's that immigrant hustle that we all know mm-hmm. like we saw our mom doing it and then you're mm-hmm. doing it and it's good it's good to be continued the yeah you can see people doing that and um that soccer was the enjoy- <laughs> it's, it's like so different yeah. it's just like yeah
1: well you have a
2: wealth of like um experience Is what i was trying to say you have like Thank this you. This whole, like, from the ground floor, when, when you see good writing, you see good stories, it usually comes from somewhere. And from you speaking and telling um, your story, you can see that that's where you're drawing from. The You can see the hard work and the passion because it grew from
1: somewhere. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it, Alma. And, and by the way, like, I shouldn't, I wouldn't be qualified to have that internship. A lot of the, the kids they brought there were like <sighs> USC, Harvard, and like Ivy League schools. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like I like I would never in my entire life gotten an internship there if it wasn't for soccer, which is like the that funny thing about sense. life.
0: Yeah.
1: It's how you you end up in places and you navigate the system and the world.
0: Oh yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of uh of one of the lines in the movie where you say, um, but we wanted to discuss that in a little bit, but um, with Winona when she's discussing when she's uh, she's a sex worker. And she's like, well, that's just a thing that I do. It's just one part of her, of who she is. It's not the entirety. So like with you, you mentioned how with, there were these people from, you know, these USC or wherever. and But you have all these little stories to tell inside of you. And that's what they saw. And then, yeah, maybe it was the soccer that kind of made you stand out for that moment. But then, you know, it's you that is you know, earning these grants and everything else and being given the opportunities. It's so awesome. Um, But so we read a statement that you wrote about the movie where you mentioned that you wanted to tell the story of a person or a group of people that were underrepresented or not often cast as the lead. And you decided to choose someone with dwarfism. Um, And um, the actor that you chose was Matthew Jeffers. And so I'm curious how that, I'm sure that was very challenging. Um, I don't know if you know anybody with dwarf- dwarfism or that, but tackling a such a unique perspective and trying to be um, sensitive, but at the same time, not dismissive of how you tell their story, that must mm-hmm. have been, you know, hard to navigate, I'm thinking.
1: Yes, it, it was. I think, listen, I, I think he comes from a, a, a cinema study classes and stuff like that. It's like realizing that, yeah, representation in cinema and it's a lot of work. It's starting to grow in the past 10 years. There's been massive change and that's huge. But like most little person characters, except Peter Dinklage, are casted as freaks, even in 2021 and 2022. Like they're casted as like your, your typical, literally like, like little monster in the corner kind of vibe. Like And I mean, obviously there's exceptions here and there, but I thought, I thought it was fascinating to explore a character who was self-aware of all of that. And and, and someone that, that self-awareness comes through the script and through the character exploration. And, and when it comes to casting, there's no doubt. And I knew in my, in my heart, there wasn't a doubt that there was gonna be a massive pool of incredibly talented little people, actors there who were just looking for the right opportunity. And not and saying that obviously, I, not that I'm bringing the opportunity, but I just thought, I wanna make them my collaborators. I wanna find the right person who can uh, sh- help us shape this story. Because at the end of the day, for me, it's like, I'm not, obs- I'm not the kind of director that is obsessed. Oh, I have to be the actor that has to write the script and it has to be based on my like childhood trauma. Not necessarily, I, for me, it's, it's more than that. We all go through, everybody has their own life. Everybody has their own struggles. It's it just, but, but so casting in some ways, it became not only casting the lead actor of our movie, but also create casting the imagination of a, of a human being who was going to complement our creative and was going to be part of our producing team in some ways. And that was exactly who Matthew is. And once, once we found him, we were incredibly lucky. We did audition pretty much every little person in the world. Like we auditioned South Africa, Australia, like England, a lot of little people in New York, in LA. We went to all the uh, little people or like diverse uh, uh, yeah, like uh, disability agencies, talent agencies pretty much in the world. We did our work. We put a lot of work. Once Matthew came on board, we kind of rewrote the script with him. Like he gave us permission to tell the story in the right way. And he, tell us that the, the, he gave us permission to say the word midget when the, in the bar scene when, when that happens or etc. Like Like understanding, really understanding what the story is coming from a person like him. But also understanding why we're telling this story and why, in the first place, we decided to tell it. And I think a little person, in some ways, obviously has its own experience. But but like as you say, like as an immigrant, I have my own experiences. I'm not just a kid who went to community college from Medellin. That's just one thing. Like there's so many more things than just the sex worker. Uh, So so I think what he represents and what we like what he means is is it's universal. It's relatable to every human being, and, and especially those who don't come from, like, your status quo, like your traditional, like, New York City, like, like upper east side kid, you know what I mean? But, well, like, so that's kind of a, a little bit of that. And now and is one of my best friends. I, I love it. And we, we share the same birthday as well.
0: Okay. When's that?
1: <laughs> July, July 31st.
2: Okay. Hey, that's my got- husband's birthday. That's my husband's <laughs> birthday.
1: Oh, that's crazy.
2: And mine's <laughs> on the 20th. But you you're you're answering so many, so many questions with the way you said that because I was going to specifically ask about um, did you do research? But it seems like you um, and your creative team, you know, you were very open to talking and asking questions from the people and realizing that this is this is not just a character, this is a human being being portrayed on screen. And mm-hmm. I really like what you said that you spoke and acted and then kind of rewrote the character around their personal um their, their answers, their experience. And because seeing that the two of them. It was very, it was very moving. I'm not sure if Ali has another question specifically about um, Matthew Jeffers' character, but I was so moved with how in tune that this these two people were represented on screen. Like they weren't just written. It was like somebody took the time to understand. To empathize, to put themselves in the shoes of these two characters, um, I absolutely love the Winona character. Uh, Talia already fantastic. brought up. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yes, and it was the unique perspective of how she specifically stated in the movie that um, this is just something that I do. Did you do research? Did you speak to uh, sometimes? And this is this is no offense, but writing a woman character as um, men don't really, they, you can tell. <laughs> and right. this woman, I was just like somebody I could talk to every day. Somebody that I might know, somebody did,
1: was there uh, research specifically? A, a, lot to, of, a, a lot of research. And, and also mm-hmm. it, it comes from the casting too. Like who do we wanna bring to embody this character? And, and we actually, for Winona character, we were looking for actual sex workers, one because they could bring an experience that not even a normal woman could be relate to, but in particularly Sarah Hay, even though she didn't play a six worker, she is a ballerina at a very high level and ballerinas at that level have been exploited for their bodies and their shape, the shape of their feet. And like, like if they have boobs or they don't have boobs, but with, uh, Sarah Hay in particular uh, was a, a ballerina she, who had big breasts and like, and like she wasn't, the, she wasn't, Doing well in the U.S. Ballet precisely because of that, even though her level was super high, so she was in the Berlin Ballet, uh, 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 the main ballet at Berlin, and uh, as a ballerina in the company there, and and, uh, and she has so much to build from the misery that that brought her, because of like the way she's looked on and like look like as almost as an object, right? So so in, in some ways, and that came from the research, that came from doing the homework and seeing who is the right person, the right partner. And at the end of the day, it comes down to specificity. And, 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 and that's why I almost didn't get with Nona because I, I didn't want to just, like, she's a bigger actress. She's in a, a star show called Flesh and Bone. She's a Golden Globe nominee actress. So, so it was, for, for a movie like ours, which were small, usually you just have to send an offer and hope she accepts. But in this movie in particular, we had to, like, I, I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to really, like, be able to know her and see like how she thought, and and once we were able to do that and do like a, a chemistry read with Matthew, it I have that in, in Zoom. That is when it clicked. That is where I was like, "Wow, that's she is it." Like, like and, and and again, and then after that, it becomes conversation after conversation of like really understanding. And same thing is her. Like you have at the end of the day, the actors are collaborators, and and they, they, you have to partner with them, and they're gonna add so much value.
0: And I. You know, speaking to what Alma said, as far as um, it being relatable as a woman, um, and you can really see it like when the encounter at the gas station, when those two guys come up to her, hey, are you this person, you know, Um, so she's confronted with her sex work outside of the actual, you know, working aspect of it. Um, And it's, it's like you said, it's, we can totally see that when. Um, You know, again, I won't speak for Alma, but like when, you know, if I go out in public and, you know, there's times where you have that male gaze and you have to learn how to act in certain situations because you can't always act defensive or aggressive. And that's what the character does here. It's like she knows how to act to survive in certain situations, even though it was just this tiny little, you know, encounter. Um, and that's why I, I think Alma really, you know, that was a good question as far as like, that's, those nuances are something that, you know, we know that, you know, as women, when we go out in public, or, you know, wherever, it's those little things and that really kind of like, when I see her, it's just like, I related so much too much to these two characters, even though they are are so different for me. I'm not these two characters, but you know, I was telling Alma that, um, you know, I suffer from really bad depression. And I could see myself in, you know, in Peter, and I could see myself in Winona. Um, You had, you said something about, I'm I'm looking for the quote, specifically that you said, um, about being this crushing sense of loneliness, um, that people feel, and, you know, uh, that being an aspect of this movie, and I just felt that like you're oh, like, maybe not always, but you wanting to belong to something, maybe not necessarily a group of other people, but something. And with Winona wanting to be, you know, go to outer space with these aliens, you know, it sounds silly on the surface, but when you get to know her character, you start to understand why, you know, and I look, I'm trying not to cry because it was very emotional that, she just wants to belong to something. And for her, it was, you know, the universe being a part of the universe. And, you know, what a wonderful greater aspect of, you know, beyond us to belong to something so amazing. Um, I even jokingly told my partner the other day, it's like, hey, if you can figure out a way for me, you know, when I die, send my ashes to outer space because I just want to belong to like the universe, <laughs> um, you know, so it's like I, I really, really just related a lot to little aspects of these characters and you know even though they were two di- very different people from myself but I just love this movie.
1: <laughs> uh thank you so much Daila uh, and and yes I mean listen at the end of the day that's uh, like where we made it. I, I do think there's a lot to unpack in the film. There's a lot of themes that but at the end of the day it is about that. It is about like there's, a, there's an existential crisis we're all going through. It's like, well, what is our purpose here? And, and why are we here? And, and do we belong or do we don't, don't belong? And we all kind of want to believe that we do mean something. And, and, it, and it kind of like it's an exploration of like that meaning of what, what is the meaning and the purpose of our existence and why are we here? And, it, and, it, and, and it's doing it in a very intimate way. Uh, and, and that's why for me, the, the, the title, I, like I struggle usually with titles of movies, but this one in particular, it, like, it, it was right away. We knew it was unidentified objects because it's kind of like that alone is so universal. And so kind of like there's so many complexities of what an unidentified object means. So thank you for saying that. And it means the world to me that, that you had that response. It, that's at the end of the day, the reason why we made it.
0: And I do want to say real quick that embarrassingly, it wasn't until maybe like 15 minutes before this interview that I realized unidentified objects could be like UFO. And I didn't get that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stupid for that. And I'm admitting it. It's totally good. No, 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 no. No, it's totally. This
1: is great. Um,
2: you um, just one last one last little thought I appreciate that I was reading an interview that you did about specifically about the ending we won't give spoilers or anything like that away Um, but that you were very specific in saying you made it um, ambiguous um, that you didn't want to be specific and tell anybody what to feel at the end of the movie Um, I always Say, I say it a lot, but that it's film is an art and it's just for us to appreciate, for us to open our eyes and have a feeling without somebody telling us how to feel about it. And I think that really closed the movie in just such a perfect way because we are able to interpret it the way that we want. And just like Dahlia, um, just belong to it in a way that we that we can like connect in whatever way makes us feel the
1: best. Thank you so much Alma, I appreciate that. That's, that's incredibly kind and, and I hope your audience can enjoy it as well and, and they mm-hmm. can see it eventually as a, either a fantastic fest or when it comes out to the public, but mm-hmm. it, means, it means the world because they're just talking to both of you mm-hmm it kind of like reinvigorates the reason why we do this, right? At the end of the day, for me, storytelling is a tool. It's kind of like to to like fight that, like if there was no storytelling, there would be no hope for Mm -hmm. society. Uh, And I I feel like that's kind of in some ways what, no matter the genre, because Mm -hmm. even even horror movies, by the way, they give you, (laughs) they make you existential. They may may, make you sometimes think about it like in deeper or different Mm -hmm. ways about your own, existence so i appreciate both of you and thank you for the kind words
2: thank you for listening to nightmare on fifth street a horror movie podcast if you like what you heard don't forget to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform also leave a review or share what movie you would like us to discuss as always thank you for listening